0: We're continuing our study on Together for Grace and how God is working in our lives as we are surrendered to him. And we're in chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 today and just go into chapter 4, verse 1, which is kind of the totality of the thought. And this will be my last time for a while, obviously, as Pastor Matt Carter comes in view of a call, and he will take the reins of teaching. So we're going to just kind of end this Philippians study at this point. Uh, But I think it's really a powerful one for us to close on, and it's been a privilege to be able to serve. So let's look at chapter 3. Verses 17 all the way through 4-1. And although I did the first three verses last week, it ties a thought together. And it makes it very clear what Paul's trying to say to us. This is a powerful word about being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So Paul says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now this week, this is real key. Notice the connecting word, the word for, or the word but here. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, here's where he ties it all in. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand firm or stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul continues to talk about dual citizenship. It's a beautiful thing. And I was thinking about a time when specifically my first time to leave the country and I had to have a passport. I was a teenager. And I went to Quito, Ecuador. And we got everything lined up because I was a, a U.S. citizen and had to have a passport to go overseas. And so when I received my passport and I was able to enter in to that country and we went through customs, we met the person that we were going to uh, be with during that time. We were actually on a uh, basketball expedition. We were going as a high school team to play the Ecuadorian national team. And so we entered into another world. We weren't familiar with their world, and we weren't familiar with their customs, and we weren't familiar with their ways. So we had to be introduced by a person who introduced us to the people that we would be living with in their homes. And we began to stay in host homes. So my family, my host home family, met me at the airport. And as soon as they met me, we began to interact and exchange our words. And we began to talk about the schedule and what I would do and how it would all look. And so one of the things that the gentleman who was an owner of the bank there in town, he told me that I have a membership at a country club. And so what I've already done is the way that we handle things here is we have a big book. It's a book, uh, a paper book that has a ledger sheet in it. And every family that is a part of the country club that is partnering with the country club, that is a member, signs in on the ledger. And when you sign in on the ledger, um, I have already put money in that account to cover anything that you charge on this ledger. So basically, I went with his son. Uh, He had two sons, and so they would take me to the country club. And what I noticed is when we got there, we opened up the big book with the ledger. And as we opened up the ledger, everything was paid for because we signed in and we looked for his name. So when I would eat my second hamburger, I realized that the first hamburger had been paid because daddy paid the bill. And so everything I ordered was already paid for. So the idea of really what Paul has been telling us in the first three chapters is everything's already been paid for. God, through Jesus Christ, has taken our account that needed something done to it because we either had to pay for our sins or have someone else pay for our sins. We decided that we would go ahead. Paul's talked about this new life in Christ, that Christ is my life in chapter one. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's about a relationship that's already been paid for. My sins have already been paid for. Paul was talking to the church in Philippi saying it's already been paid for. Christ is your life. Christ is your attitude, chapter two. Christ is your goal, chapter three. So we have clean books. That's what Paul is saying. Because your books are clean, because your ledger and your slate is clean, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you that you could never do for yourself, behave and live in a different manner. That's what he's talking about. So we went to the country club and I thought, I can live like this. I love this country, I love this place. Until we went downtown a little later in the week and my friends and I and the team decided to eat at McDonald's. And we went to a McDonald's and as we were eating our hamburgers and our french fries and drinking our Cokes, down the street came military tanks with men behind the machine guns and they were looking for people. And we were sitting there, you could tell we weren't from this country. And everybody else continued to eat their hamburgers. We began to move below the table. We thought, we don't want to stay here any longer. This is not our home. And this experience is a reminder that we can't wait to go back home. Here's what Paul's telling us. We can't wait to get home. We, we live in two worlds. We, we live in Houston soil. We live on this earth. But we don't live as citizens of this earth. We have a higher allegiance. We live as citizens of the kingdom. That's what Paul is saying. He said, It's not so much just to belong to the kingdom of heaven, it's that because you've believed in Jesus Christ, that puts you into the belonging to the kingdom. But when you belong to the kingdom, your behavior is different. That's what he's told us in the beautiful verses right before this, that our walk is different. So there's this version of what people call Christianity, that it doesn't matter how you live. And that's not true. Paul would debate that in Romans and anywhere else. He would say, God forbid that you would take grace as a license to do as you please when the grace of God is the power to do as you should. God's grace Draws us into holy living because that's who Jesus is. So Paul says we've been called to heaven. We have a call from heaven and we walk as examples. But we are walking because we are citizens of heaven. And one day there's going to be a tug on the end and Jesus is going to call us home so during this walk, so when we walk as citizens of the kingdom, this is important to understand, when we walk it's a work when we walk in the works that God has for us, he prepared these works before the foundation of the world, so when we walk in these works, God prepared that before we ever got there and when we get to the point where we're walking in God's good grace and his works and his righteousness and his power and his strength people began to say, we are citizens of another world. We're citizens of the kingdom. Our life begins to say very loudly what we really believe. So verse 20, here's what Paul says. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. I'm going home. There's a time where I'm going home, but I'm in heaven on my way to heaven. That's the beautiful thing about what Paul has been talking to us about. So Paul, speaking of citizens of heaven, speaking of we are little colonies of heaven down on this earth. They would have Roman colonies. A Philippi would be one. So Paul reminds them this is a picture that the Philippians could understand because Philippi was a Roman colony. And here and there they would have... Have strategic military centers and the romans would set down their colonies there in such places the citizens were mostly soldiers who had served their 21 years in order that they would be rewarded full citizenship And the great characteristic of these colonies was that wherever they went, they were fragments of Rome. They were colonies of Rome. So Roman dress was worn. Roman magistrates were governing. uh, Justice was administered. Roman justice. Roman morals were observed. So even in the ends of the earth, they remained unshakably Roman. But Paul says to the Philippians, you may have Roman citizenship, Philippi. But your higher calling is to the citizenship in heaven. You have a higher calling. Conduct yourself, behave, believe, belong, but understand that your conduct represents another kingdom. That's what he's saying to them. So they would dress as a citizen of heaven, not of earth. They would speak as a citizen of heaven, not of earth. They would engage in pleasures of citizens of heaven, not of earth. They would live by the laws of heaven, but they would live by the laws of earth. So they were in two worlds at the same time, but they had a higher allegiance and a higher calling to Jesus Christ. That's what verse 20 is talking about. So Paul's contrasting the two kingdoms. And here's the beautiful thing about our citizenship it says here that Jesus is the king of our kingdom. He's the king of our kingdom. So when you think of citizens of heaven, you've got to think of three things. Number one, you think of the inauguration of the kingdom. Think about this. When Jesus came to earth, when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, he was born to save. He was born to die. That was the inauguration of Of the kingdom of God. When Jesus left heaven, he was still God, but he laid aside his rights as God. He uh, laid aside the expression of his deity without the possession of his deity. But when Jesus Christ blasted into earth, that was the inauguration of the kingdom. And in his hands, in his infant hands, the power of life and death. So that was the inauguration of the kingdom. And you remember when Jesus was born, uh, there was another king. uh, Herod, the governor, he was trying, he heard that there was another king that was going to be born. And so his plan was to thwart the inauguration of the King of Kings, that Jesus is the King of this kingdom. So he says, I have a plan. I'll kill and wipe out all male babies two years old or so. Here was the problem with Herod he was too late. God's plan cannot be stopped. You cannot stop God's plan. God's plan will come into fruition. So we have the inauguration of the kingdom. As citizens of heaven, we understand that the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ was inaugurated at his birth. But he didn't just come to be born. He came to die. So it's the continuation, the second thing of his kingdom. Because you remember after his death and resurrection uh, and ascension, he said to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you at Pentecost. And he poured out his spirit on the church. So the continuation of the kingdom was not just in one physical body because everywhere that Jesus went, kingdom things began to happen. But the continuation of the kingdom was Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he poured out his Holy Spirit on the church and the church was scattered. And so the kingdom of God continued to have kingdom things happen, not in just one physical body, but many bodies, many people who belong and behave and believe in Jesus Christ began to be scattered all over the world. So we have the continuation of the kingdom and that's where we live today. The kingdom of God is here But it's not yet. It's not yet. It's already here. We're already in heaven on our way to heaven. We have citizenship. The word citizenship means to have a dialogue, to have a conversation. It's where we get our word politics. Jesus Christ is not a Democrat or a Republican. We're under our theocracy. Not a democracy where he reigns and rules the inauguration of the kingdom. Jesus came as the king, the continuation of the kingdom. Jesus lives in me. We, the body of Christ, the church, we continue the work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Broken hearts are healed because of him. Jesus Christ can come into someone's life and depression can flee. So the kingdom of God is opposite of the kingdom of this world. Jesus Christ rules and reigns. He's ruling and reigning in his people, the continuation of the kingdom of God. Think about that, church. Think about that in our faith family here, how Jesus Christ can be ruling and reigning in our hearts. And he's been ruling and reigning. Think about the legacy here at Sagemont for 53 years with Pastor John Morgan. Think about the continuation of the ministry and the sphere and the influence of Christ and how many people's lives have been changed. Guess what? We'll be now having a new pastor based on your affirmative vote, and you'll have an opportunity to do that on the 17th. But when God calls Pastor Matt Carter here, guess what? It's the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ who is ruling and reigning in his people. We get to continue to see God do big things because guess what? When the king comes in our hearts, ministry happens and kingdom things happen. It's the continuation of that ministry. I had a friend who, uh, when we lived in Tennessee, he would do contract work in Iraq. And as he would go to Iraq, he would spend maybe 60, 90 days over there. And all they gave him Here was his instructions. We will give you a hotel room. You will have a place to stay. But when you have that place to stay, anything you buy, anything you buy for that hotel room, anything you buy for the place that we're providing for you has to stay there. So it made no sense for him to go buy things and stock up and put pictures and furniture. He just put his necessities. But here's what they told him. Everything you earn, you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. You can send it back home. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, can, if you and I can grasp hold of that as citizens of the kingdom who the inauguration of the kingdom came when Jesus the king came. And now the continuing, ruling, reigning ministry of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's nothing we can take with us, but we can take it and send it on ahead. There are no things, no stuff, no furnishings that we can take with us. So why would we spend our lives trying to get more and more and more and something more and something more more? Listen, we can't take it with us, but we can send everything on ahead. That which we do in the eternal, that which we do by the power of the Holy Spirit, that which we invest in that is eternal. Think about that. The continuation of the kingdom is going to continue at Sagemont Church because the king is continuing to do his work in and through his people. It's a beautiful thing. But then Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. Let me give you the third part. Not only do you have the inauguration, not only do you have the continuation of the king, the ministry, because that's when kingdom things happen. But the last thing is you have the consummation because there will be a day when the king comes back. The King of Kings, the Lord whom we love, the Lord whom we serve will come back and get us. He will come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The consummation of the kingdom, our citizenship is in heaven. We've been living the righteous life, not perfect, but predictable on this earth. But our King is coming to get us. I'm going home one day. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, so are you. You're going home because our life is like a line. Uh, Excuse me, eternity is like a line, but our life is the dot on this line. So God is conforming us, continuing to work in us, do in us what we can never do for ourselves. But one day we will be with him for eternity. Paul says, look at the text, our citizenship. It's in heaven. It's in heaven. Now watch this. How do I know that Paul's talking about the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord? Because he says so. Here's what he says from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we're citizens of the kingdom. We're a part of the continuation of the ministry of God where broken hearts can be healed, where sin has broken people's lives and broken our world. We can point them to a savior. We're part of the continuing work of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But one day, Jesus, we eagerly await. Why do we do all that we do? Because we wait for a savior. We eagerly wait. It's the idea of we're waiting in the meantime, but in the meantime, we're living life. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about an event. He's already alluded to the day when Christ comes for the church. Now, we eagerly await, look at the text, for the Savior. You see, in Rome... Caesar was Lord. Caesar referred to himself as the Savior and Lord. And people who had trusted Christ as their Savior, they oftentimes lost their life because they wouldn't yield to Caesar as Lord. And what Paul is saying is, listen, eagerly await, not Caesar, he's there. You eagerly await a Savior who is coming. You get your eyes on the horizon for the eastern sky. But we wait for Christ to come from heaven as Paul is pointing to this. See, the promises of God are always paced by God. The promises of God are paced by God. In our faith, in our citizenship of being a, king, being a person who's been captured by the king and kingdom stuff is happening at SageMod and in your life and in your work and in your family. The reason it's happening is because our faith is tied to Waiting. And we wait for God, but we wait as we wait for God. We don't wait passively. We actively work. So waiting is faith. It's depending on something. It's expecting something to happen. Paul says, he's coming and I'm going home. But in the meantime, I'm eagerly waiting for a savior. Think about that. So faith is depending on something to happen. Belief is You have a revelation of that which Paul says is going to happen. You have a revelation. Your revelation is in a person. And here's what he says. And then you take that belief which you have received by revelation and you cast it out into the future. And that's called hope. See, hope is not I hope so. Hope is I know so. Paul says that there's the king. He's going to come back. He's coming back for you and for me. So the God who promised that he was coming back sets the pace of his promises. But you can't hurry God. But you can live as citizens of the kingdom. And that's our job. That's what we do. We live as citizens of the kingdom. Sagemont Church has always focused on Jesus Christ. And the behavior of its citizens, we're not perfect. We have sin, we have flesh, we have missed the mark. But when we do, we run to the person who can give us the power to overcome. And Jesus Christ is that person. So Paul is telling us here in verse 20, to live with the end in mind. That's that's his thought. Live with the end in mind. That's what citizens of the kingdom do. They live with the end in mind. Suppose I have a gift for you. Suppose that you know that a gift that I am getting is for you. And let's just say that you go to the store and you see me getting the gift that you know I'm going to get for you. You wouldn't buy the kind of gift for me that I'm getting for you, but somehow you heard that I was getting a gift for you. So I purchased the gift. You're in the store. You see it, but it's already boxed up. It's already wrapped up. You don't know what it is. Can I tell you something? You're going to eagerly await at home my coming. Because you know a gift is coming. And you know that I'm the one that's delivering the gift. So there's an eager anticipation of the gift. If you didn't know I was buying you a gift, you may not live with eager anticipation. Listen, we know the gift giver. We know the king. We know the king is coming. So we should have the anticipation that he's already given us the gift of himself. And in himself, I eagerly await for him to come. I'm waiting for him to come. I'm living with the end in mind. People sing songs about the king is coming, the king is coming, old school song, and then they never live as if the king is ever coming. Listen, we don't lack anything in this life. We have the full possession of his power, of his person, of his presence in our lives. And because we have the full power and possession and presence of Jesus in our lives, we eagerly wait. We don't wait passively, we wait actively. Behaving as citizens of the kingdom, we live with the end in mind. I read a story about a recent at an airport the uh, people were complaining, this is a surprise, complaining that they had to wait for their baggage at a particular carousel. And they realized, the airlines realized that the planes were coming in at a certain position that was real close to the carousel. So when people would get off the airplane and go over to the carousel, it was a short walk and we got a lot of complaints about people waiting for their baggage. So instead of the airlines dealing with the root of the issue, they decided to kind of change things up a little bit. They decided to have the planes come in at a particular area that was farthest away from the carousels. And when the planes came in from a particular area and they were far away from where the baggage carousels were, they took time walking. It was a six minutes distancing from where they used to be. Not only did the airlines do that, but they had all arriving flights and luggage go to the farthest carousel after the long walk to the carousel. So they put the baggage in the farthest carousel. And guess what happened? The complaints went away. You know why? Because people were actively doing something rather than sitting there complaining about the weight. We have a mission. We have a passion We have a heart as a sage family to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And as we are waiting for our king to come and get us, we are waiting by actively pursuing him. That's what waiting means. We live with the end in mind. Verse 21 says this. It's beautiful. Who? Jesus. Who's coming? Will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Verse 21 talks about transforming our lowly body. Now, listen, here's the beautiful thing about it. Why does Paul talk about transforming the body? Because Jesus Christ is already transforming the inside. That's what Paul's been telling us for three chapters. Jesus Christ is changing our lives. He's our our life. He's our attitude. He's our strength. It's kind of like a watermelon seed. When a little child, I remember asking me one time when I was eating watermelon, he said, can I, can I touch that seed? I said, sure, touch that seed. As he touched that seed, it spit right out of his finger. He said, why is that seed slippery? I said, because it spent time in the watermelon, in the juices, in the sphere of the watermelon, and it has absorbed all that the watermelon is. That's why it's slippery. So Paul is saying this salvation, this gift of transforming power is already inside of you. Jesus is already doing a great work in our lives. So watch this. He says, but when he comes, he's going to transform the outside. That's what this Greek word means. You see, there's two words that that mean transform. One would be to transform something and totally change something. For something to be transformed, one Greek word would mean to totally transform it. So the idea would be if you took a wheat field and you then transformed it into a football field, That would be the word that Paul didn't use here. But that would be a total, complete change. We've already had that on the inside. But we have not had our outer body, our shell, this body of sin that we lived in. We have not had the outward change. And the word that Paul uses here is a word that means to change on the outside. So it would be like if you had a Japanese garden and you changed it to uh, an Italian garden, you still have a garden, but it's a different form and a different shape. And that's what Paul's saying here. He said, look at the text. He's going to transform our bodies. Are you kidding me? You mean this body that's breaking down, this body that aches, this body that I've tried to improve, this outside schema, this body, this form, this shape that that gives me a lot of problems and gives you a lot of problems. I mean, people with cancer and people with aches and pains, and we try to fix it with Botox and all different kinds of stuff. We try to fix up the outside of the body. Here's what Paul says: When Jesus Christ comes, you'll get a glorified body. You'll get a new body. He's going to transform our lowly body. Well, how do I know it's a lowly body? Because it's a body of humiliation. It's a sinful body. And And it's going to be transformed and conformed to his glorious body. We will have a body just like his. A glorified body. Just like his. Oh, Jesus, come and do this. How's he going to do this? Well, the text tells us. Look at it in chapter 3, verse 20. According to the working power. That's what it means. Power by which he is able. He is able even to subdue all things to himself. He is able to subdue all things to himself. He is working in us. He is able to subdue all things to himself. He's able to, the word subdue means to bring under subjection. You've read stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Here's one. Someone who had a, uh, that was transformed on the inside, that thought he was going to lose his life. There was a missionary named James Calvert in the 1800s. God had already done a great work. He was going to the Fiji Islands to minister minister the power of God and the spirit of God and the hope of God to people who were cannibals who had never heard. And he was a missionary, went to the Fiji Islands. This is a true story. The captain of the ship, on the ship, going to the Fiji Islands said, you don't want to take your crew there. You will die. You will die. This is a savage cannibal group. And here's what James Calvert said. I've already died before we get there. You know what he was saying? I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. I've I've had a death to my life. I've had a death to my ways. I've had a death to my dreams. He said, I've already died. We died before we got there. And as he got there, God began to do incredible work. He began to translate the Bible in ways to them that they could understand. And here's what they said on his tombstone. They said this on his tombstone. Heaven was in him before he was ever in heaven. Is that not a picture of what Paul is saying? Heaven has been in us before we ever get to heaven. But one day when Jesus calls us home, not only has the inside been transformed, we've been transformed and continuing to be transformed, but now our bodies are gonna match that transformed spirit and Jesus is gonna call us home. How do I know that? It's according, verse 20, to the working of his power, he is able to subject all things unto himself. He's totally sovereign, he's totally in control, he's totally in charge and he leaves nothing undone. He's a God who closes the deal. That's what he says. Here's the point. One day, we will see him. He has the power to bring that about. He will transform our bodies. He will glorify us. He will give us a resurrection body like his, and then we will be sinless, and we will be pain-free, and we will live with him forever and forever and forever. Our citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because I'm good or because you're good? No, because God is good. And we don't need to focus on what we do. We don't need to focus on, oh, you can do this and you can do this. It's not what we can do. It's what God has already done. And it's what he is doing. And he will take us all the way home. And Paul says this as I close. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and my crown. He's speaking to these Philippian believers that he loves that he's distanced from. Here's what he says: stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Stand firm. The the idea of the word stand firm means to persevere in godliness through fellowship with the Lord. It means to keep your footing to keep your stance. It means don't lose ground. Don't back up. Persevere. Jesus is transforming our lives. He's continuing the ministry in and through us. He's our life, attitude, goal, and, and strength in chapter four. But the idea is Paul says, stand firm. He doesn't say, hold on. I hear people say all this all the time. I'm just holding on. I'm just holding on until Jesus comes. Listen, you don't need to hold on. He's holding on to you. Just stand in his power, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love for you. Some of you feel like you can't stand because you feel like even though Jesus has forgiven you of all your sins and you know that your books are clean, you have a clean slate because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. Here's what you're doing. You're beating yourself up over something you did in the past. Your books are clean. Live in the fresh, clean books of your sins and my sins being forgiven. And don't try to make up ground for God. Don't try to hold on to him. He's paid it all. You don't live in your past. You live in his power. Stand firm, Paul says, in his power. Endure. Be faithful because God's going to take you all the way home. And he's going to transform that lowly body, this body of sin, those places where I fell short, those places where I couldn't yield to him and didn't yield to him and let flesh overcome. One day, Jesus is going to take everything that was wrong and he's going to turn it upside down and it's all going to be right. We live in a right side up kingdom, not an upside down kingdom, a right side up kingdom because Jesus has made all things right. Let me close with this illustration. This will be my last Astroworld illustration. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a theme park that used to be in Houston that everybody had a season pass to. Well, I remember that my parents or Leslie's parents, we would drop us off at World, and they would load us up with money. And we would go to World and we would live full and we would live free. And we would get everything, we would buy everything, we would ride every ride. And that happened within the first two hours of the day. We didn't have any money. So when it came time for the end of the day, we couldn't experience something that World wanted you to experience at the end of the day because we didn't live with the end in mind. We only saw the beginning of the day, but had we lived for the end of the day, and you will remember this if you remember Astroworld, at the end of the day when you would leave the theme park, there was a little place, it was in one of the town shops. Where you could get a piece of wonder bread or Mrs. Baird's bread. I think it was Mrs. Baird, either five cents or a quarter, something like that. Everybody, as you were exiting out the park, which was a full group of people, if you didn't live for the end of the day and you spent all your money at the beginning of the day, you couldn't experience what was at the end of the day because you didn't have anything to get, give to get the experience of the Mrs. Baird's bread. And I started thinking about that illustration. As Christians, here's what Paul's saying. If we would live differently at the beginning of the day, we could live and end up at the end of the day experiencing all that Christ has for us. Some of us, listen, we can send everything ahead. You can't take it with you, but we can live with the end in mind and we can send everything ahead. So we need to live differently at the beginning of the day. What has Paul been talking about? Our lifestyle, our behavior. We're citizens of the kingdom. So we live differently at the beginning of the day because when we trusted Christ as our savior, he is in us. And so that's the beginning of the day, but there's gonna come an end of the day of this world, this dot on this line of eternity. And at the end of the day, we are going home. I feel like a stranger in this world the longer I live we're going home everything in this world is just a temporary setup because I've got a home to go through I'm a citizen yes of this United States of America I have a passport that says I'm a citizen here but I'm living in two worlds and my prayer is that I would live effectively in this world for the kingdom because I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving and worshiping an eternal king. This life in Jesus never dies, because Jesus Christ is eternal and never, ever dies. If you somehow have missed Jesus, don't miss him today. Trust him as your savior. You're living this life for what it can get for you down here on this earth. And I'm telling you, A selfish life will never satisfy your eternal need for a Savior. But if you'll today put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, the King who's coming, we live differently. He will place his life in you. Watch this. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will come and live in you. And then Jesus will heal your broken heart And then you can be a missionary to continue to tell people, I'll take you to the same place that I got my broken heart healed, and his name is Jesus. And you can live with him forever and forever and forever. Would you be willing where you are to bow your heart, to bow your head, and to bow your whole body to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you just say, Jesus, save me? I am missing not only heaven here. I'm going to miss heaven for all eternity because what makes heaven is the backdrop of a, backdrop of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can turn off this broadcast today, but before you do, you can know Jesus is your Savior. Here's all you do. Say, Jesus, save me. I'm bankrupt. I need you. I'm broken. And I bow my heart and my knee and my life to you. I want you to come into my life and change me because I want a little bit of heaven On my way to heaven. Would you do that in your heart? Just receive the free gift of salvation. The books have already been paid for. It's already clean. The price has already been paid. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Would you do that? We love you. God loves you. He has a plan for you. Bless you.